Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. My goal today, like I said, is to answer two questions. Um, My first point is this. It is, number one, the enemy is going to try to steal our hope, kill our faith, and try and destroy our dreams and vision. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I grew up with a dad who loves fishing. Now, I don't want to lose any brownie points. Um, I don't like fishing. I was not, uh, I was, I was not given that gift. Uh, I think the gift is patience. Uh, that was not something that God gave me. I'm working on it. My wife will tell you I'm amazing at it. Um, she may also be lying, or I may be lying. Actually, she never lies. I'm lying. Um, I'm not patient enough. And it's funny because my dad was always one of those guys that was like, don't worry, I have a secret spot. I know a spot. Don't worry, I've got a spot. Oh, don't worry, I've got secret bait. Don't worry, I know what to use when we come to this spot. And my dad was always one of those guys that would have these obscure places. And I swear, I think I went, we did more bushwalking than we did fishing, trying to always get to these spots that my dad would have. And I remember as a kid, like, my, so we come from a split home. And so being able to spend time with my dad, I loved, as a, as a little kid, I loved spending time with my dad because he was the coolest dude. He had all the gadgets. He had all the cool stuff. He had the motorbikes. He had the, like, we went, got to go camping and we got to do all this exciting stuff. However, fishing was not one of those things. But nevertheless, I love spending time with my dad at this time. So I went anyway. And I remember the first time he took us to this spot. It was actually, uh, for those of you who, and I mean, I'm sure you guys never do this anyway because, you know, again, we're, we're holy, righteous people. So, um, for, but for any of you who watch Home and Away, you will know that there is a beach, it's filmed in a beach that's in Sydney. It's, it's actually over, uh, yeah, it's over in, it's about, I don't know, what, 45 minutes, maybe an hour out of Sydney from where we were. Um, but you can drive to the beach, and if you drive past the beach, this is where my dad's secret spot was, right? Now, I'm not going to tell you where it is because then I w- it wouldn't be a secret anymore, but, um, but you could get to this beach, you could park up, you grab all your stuff, so, and mo- because we were young and nimble, we would carry everything, and then my dad would just lead the way. So he'd head down, lead the way, come on this way, step over some stuff, lift some stuff. I'm sure we went places we weren't allowed to be. And then we'd find ourselves up on this rock. So we had to scale this rock. We would sit up on this rock and then we cast out and we'd sit there and we would wait. And we would wait and wait. Well, that's what everyone else would do. I'd cast out get bored, reel it in, be like, oh, I didn't catch anything and my bait fell off. So I'd have to rebait and then throw it out. And then I'd lose my bait again. And then so I would reel it in. And then I could have sworn I felt something nibble on it. So I'd reel it in. And by the time five minutes had passed, I'd probably cast out about 10 times. Um, safe to say this secret spot didn't quite live up to what my expectation was. It didn't live up to what I thought it was going to be, the hype that my father had really pushed this up. 
Was it because it wasn't a good spot? I mean, look, that's still up for debate, but it's probably because I didn't have the patience to cast my line out, wait for something to actually grab onto the line, and then reel it in. I would take control instead of waiting for God to put that big 10-pound fish on my line, which never happened, but it's, that's okay. And so um, I always say to myself that when we have kids, I'll always, I'll always give them the option of being able to go fishing and stuff. Um, I might rig it so that they hate it as well and I never have to do it again. Um, but we'll see. Who knows? Maybe I'll be blessed with kids that love it and I have to go out all the time. But this brings me to my story of Joseph. You see, my first point is the enemy is going to try to steal our hope, kill our faith, and try to destroy God's dream and vision for our life. You see, John 10.10 very simply says, the devil comes to steal, kill, and destroy, but I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. I wanna take a look at Joseph's dream and how the devil or the enemy may have tried to snuff that out or maybe make it seem not as great as he thought it might once might have been. So if you have your Bible, then turn with me. If not, and you haven't read your Bible this week, don't worry, we've got you covered. Uh, you are going straight to heaven after this. Uh, Genesis 39, this is gonna be uh, verses one to 23. And it goes like this. Now, Joseph... Uh, had been taken down to Egypt, Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's uh, officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. Now, just a little bit of a recap. We we touched on it last week where Joseph Joseph gets a dream. Uh, Silly enough, uh, as the youngest child, he says to all these older brothers, hey, by the way, I had this dream. You guys are gonna bow down to me. Um, as an older brother, I can tell you uh, any of the younger siblings in the house don't do that. Uh, that's a quick way to get a hiding. Um, not from dad, but from me. And then, anyway, not the point. Don't do that. Probably not wise. And then his brother, he's already like not in great standing with his brothers. Why? Because he, even though he's the youngest, is his dad's favorite. Uh, Is this because all the other brothers um, are the sons of a wife that Jacob worked really hard to uh, work really hard to get, but then didn't get and was tricked by his uncle and then was married to Leah, who uh, the Bible says had weak eyes, which I think is just a way of saying that she was a little bit crazy. And then He works again really hard to try to finally get the wife that he was promised, who then struggles to have children, but has children with all these other, with this lady that he'd um, married beforehand, which is Leah's sister, uh, which is Rebecca's sister. Did I get that right? Leah is the other sister, right? And then finally, he's able to have children with the woman he truly loved, he worked so hard to be with, And who is the child? Joseph. So the 
the prize or the thing that Jacob, or who we later find out to be Israel, worked so hard to get because he felt like this was what he was owed, he now shows, he, he loves this thing. He cherishes this child, and his brothers can see it. They get so frustrated that they actually plot to kill him, but instead of killing him, his brother, uh, some of his other brothers, like, speak up and they go, hey, hang on a second, instead of killing him and having blood on our hands, why don't we sell him to the passing caravan? Anyway, we fast forward, that caravan takes him to Egypt and is sold to Potiphar, and that is where we are now. So I'll continue on. Verse 2 says this, the Lord was with Joseph so that he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master, When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted him to care uh, everything, uh, to take care of everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household and all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and the field. Uh, So Potiphar left everything he had in Joseph's care with Joseph in charge. He did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. What I, uh, what I want to highlight here and something that we'll notice later on in this story is that Potiphar didn't have to worry about anything. Later on, spoiler alert, he gets thrown in prison. It also says that the prison warden didn't need to worry or concern himself about anything. Why? Because Joseph was a man of integrity. He worked with excellence in everything that he did and they could see that God was with him. Who else sees this? Later on, Pharaoh sees this, and again, he's put in charge of everything and is only lower than Pharaoh himself. You see, the point I want to make with this here is that when God has a plan, a dream, or a vision over your life, he will always provide everything you need to see that dream, that plan, that vision come to pass. Everything was stripped away from Joseph, but regardless or nevertheless, he pushed on. And what's he doing here? He's being put in positions where he's able to run homes, where he's able to run jails, where he's able to run a whole nation. Why? Because he was diligent and because he continued to stay close to God And God was able to bless him through this. We'll continue on. It says, now Joseph was well-built and handsome. It's funny, we have a Joseph at the back. He's also well-built, handsome, and single. And after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns He has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. 
How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You see, something that we're going to see in the next little bit here is that Potiphar's wife probably had a dry spell on Bumble, is now looking for Joseph, seeing the excellent man that he is, seeing the, the uh, success that God is bringing him, and is saying to herself, dang, like, he is fine. But Joseph, being a man of integrity, is going to not be distracted by that, not take his eyes off the plan, the purpose, and the dream that God's put on his life, but will continue to work and pray and get close to God. It says here, as we go on and we read, it says, one day, verse 11, he went into the house to attend to his duties. I want to pause right there and just say, Joseph was not somewhere he shouldn't have been. He was not doing something he shouldn't have been doing. He was in his plan. He was in his purpose. He was doing his duties. He was not at the club. He was not doing dodgy deals. He was not pirating videos or DVDs. Not that that's wrong. No, I'm joking. That's wrong. Don't do that. Um, it goes on to say, and none of the household servants were inside. She caught him, Potiphar, by his cloak and said, come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. He fled from sexual immorality. You see, Joseph was able to flee from temptation because he knew that there was a greater, higher calling, and he knew what it was to work with integrity. This is the interesting part. This is something I want you to pay close attention to. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hands and had run out of the house, she called her household servants, look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. You see, something that I've learned in my time of leadership, and I think anybody that has dealt with people anytime, really, um, because people are the hardest business, is that when people can no longer control you, can no longer manipulate you, they will try to manipulate the way others perceive you. And that's exactly what Potiphar's wife is doing right here. She calls in the servants. She spins this tale. Why? Because Joseph's character was uncorruptible, so she had to make it seem like he was corrupt. You know, and this isn't the only time we see this. Uh, anyone that grew up in uh, Sunday school or Sabbath school or whatever you want to call it, you would have heard the story of Daniel and the lion's den. What happened? We see that in Daniel, he also is above reproach, cannot be, uh, caught, cannot be caught corrupt or anything like that. So what do they do? They make up a rule that will hit his only weakness. What is that? It's service to his God. They trick him. He then is thrown into a lion's den where he survives because God shuts the mouth of the lions. 
Why? Because he is above reproach and he leads himself with integrity, just as Joseph does here. You see, we go, oh, that's right. We go on to read the story, and then we'll finish with this, and then we'll, f- we'll finish up. It says this, when his master, in verse 19, it says this, when his master heard the story, his wife told him, um, saying, this is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison and placed him where the king's prisoners uh, were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. Something I want to take the next little bit to cover is some of the things that Joseph would have gone through. Why? Because I believe that when God puts a plan or puts a dream on our hearts, the enemy or the world will come and try to distract you. Like we said in in my first point, that the, the devil will come to steal, kill, and destroy. What's he going to do? He's going to try to stop you from ever even embarking on that journey, embarking on that vision. What happens? We see Joseph's brothers reject him and his dream. Lesson learnt, be wise with who you share your dreams with. Some people will try to distract and discourage you from God's calling. What's even more dangerous is when we surround ourselves with yes people. Yeah, that's such a good idea. Oh, yeah, you should definitely do that. Oh, yeah, don't worry about that. You should definitely do that. Why? Because when we take that advice from the wrong people, it leads us off the path God has us on. The Bible says an enemy multiplies kisses, but the wounds from a friend can be trusted. What does that mean? It means sometimes you're gonna get some feedback from people that are like, hey, look, I don't know, man, like, is it really worth all of that? Oh, I, like, I would just keep going with what you're doing. And sometimes that's gonna hurt. Or they might even be, they might even be people that are like, oh, hey, like, I don't think that relationship's a good relationship for you. Like, look, you do what you want, but like, I can't see that being healthy for you. But we pursue those relationships anyway. Maybe it's, we need to take a pay cut, but we're like, but everyone go. I mean, and rightfully so, they're like, yes, a hundred grand extra, that's huge. You should definitely do that. Oh, wait, but we didn't take into account that you'll be taken away from your family. You'll be taken away uh, from your community. And these are things you will never be able to retrieve. We have people prop us up when we need to make sure that we surround ourselves with people who are going to give us godly wisdom. Joseph was put in a pit. What does this look like? This is isolation. 
how often when we get hurt or wounded or we feel like, uh, like God, I swear I heard from you. I know, I know I heard from you. I know this is what you called me to. And then we get, we get distracted or disheartened because the people behind us didn't have our back or they didn't believe in us. They didn't show us what we wanted. They didn't tell us what we wanted to hear. So what do we do? We isolate ourselves. Instead of looking for godly wisdom, we keep ourselves at home or we don't want to talk to those people anymore or it's just easier if I just do my own thing and we isolate ourselves. Joseph had to realize that the pit was not his destination but just a part of his process. He was sold into slavery. You see, this is an attack on Joseph's worth. We see this even when like, when we see Potiphar's wife start to accuse him. What does it do? It attacks his character. Oh, nothing stresses me more when someone goes, that doesn't seem very Christian-like. It's always from the people who have never stepped foot in a church or have no idea what they're talking about or have been hurt by the church. And then all of a sudden, that's not very Christian-like. Okay, thank you. This is an attack on his character. Do you know what I found really interesting about this? Joseph would not have had hindsight of this, but for generations to come, his people would be released from captivity by the same God who's directing him now, would be in the wilderness being supplied everything they need by God and would have this same problem, this wrestle with this same thing where they felt slavery or captivity was better than the freedom God was leading them to. Why? Because their circumstances didn't look how they thought they would look. And so they would rather go back to what is familiar and what is comfortable for them. What is that for you in this place? Is it money? Is it, I feel safe at work? because I don't have people at home nagging me or I can uh, leave the responsibilities at home? Is it that you feel this constant need to always be in the middle of drama all the time or gossip? Because, I mean, life doesn't have much meaning if there's no drama, right? Maybe that's what you're a slave to. Maybe it's a slave to relationships. I only find my worth when I have someone tell me that I'm beautiful, that I'm strong, that I'm good at providing, that I'm funny, I only, have, I only have worth and I only find value when I have people saying that to me. What is it that you need to break off from your life in order to pursue God's dream and his plan for you instead of being stuck in slavery? He was falsely accused. He had to overcome the fact that his character was being compromised. I think another thing, another thing that I find interesting is that when we, when we feel like we're out of control or when we feel like we're being compromised, what do we do? We push God's plan, God's purpose to one side, and we try to take control for ourselves. Oh, well, God, you obviously didn't apply the, you obviously didn't provide the funds for me, so I'm going to have to do it myself. God, you're not going to make a way for me, or you're not doing it in my time, so what am I going to do? I'm going to take control of everything that I'm doing right now, 
and I'm going to be the person that leads me, that finds me that wife. I'm going to be the person that leads me into that job. I'm going to be the person that does this. I'm going to, we try to take control and we forget that God is our Jehovah Jireh. And now where we are now in the story, Joseph's thrown into prison where I believe he has the opportunity to model everything he's learned in his journey so far. The ability to lead with integrity, resilience to bounce back even though everything's been stripped away from him time after time. The ability to fight through isolation. The ability to be spirit-led, to draw near to God. Something that all leaders are, and we could arguably take this title as anyone that leads in church at all in at any stage of life. We are lead problem solvers. Joseph becomes a lead problem solver. And finally, being forgotten. He has to lead through being forgotten. Now, I don't know about you, but I know I've definitely felt this before. You feel like sometimes God has called you on this journey and he's forgotten you. But maybe God's just waiting for us to stop giving him ideas, draw near to him and wait to see what he, where he is directing us. This brings us into my second and final point just as Luke comes up. We need to draw near to the GPS. You see, what do, what do I think is the thing that separates Joseph from everything else? It's that he constantly is close to God. You see, Proverbs 3, this is 5 to 6. Actually, I'm going to read it a little bit past that. It says this. It says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Stop trying to take control of your situation because you think you know better than God and give God control because he knows better than us. Verse six says, in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crop. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will be brim over with new wine. Who doesn't want new wine, am I right? Daniel 6. Oh. Matthew 6, 19 to 21 says this. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We're gonna skip to verse 24. It says, no one can serve two masters, neither uh, either you will hate one and love the other, or you will devote to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. 
Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink or what your bo- uh, or about your body. What you will wear is not uh, is not life more than food, and body uh, and the body more than clothes. Look at the birds of the air; they do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you be worrying? Uh, can any one of you by worrying at a single hour to your life and why do you worry about clothes although you should definitely wear clothes see how the flowers of the field grow they do not labor or spin yet i tell you that not even solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these if that is how god clothes the grass of the fields which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. Will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. When was the last time we were able to seek first the king? Like I said, if God puts the dream and the vision in your heart, He will provide everything we need. So why do we chase after things as if it's all left up to us? And then finally, Philippians 1.6 says this, being confident of this, that He who began a good work in you will carry it onto completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friend, I don't know what your journey is. I don't know what the dream is that God put on your heart, but I can tell you this. I know I wouldn't be standing here if it was left up to me. I know that if the world had its way, I would be in a much different place. In a moment, we're gonna give you an opportunity because if you're anything like me, I know you're thinking in your heart right now, hang on, Chris, everything you've said is great. There's a cool little speech Uh, Turn it into a TED Talk, do whatever you like. But I'm just telling you, like, you don't know what my story is. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know my circumstances. But can I encourage you? It's not about what I know. It's not about who I am. It's not about the, the words I'm speaking, but it's about a God who loves you and who began a good work in you and will see it to completion. James 4 verse 8 says this, 
come near to God and He will come near to you. Just with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place. What is it that God's put on your heart? What is that dream? Maybe for someone in this place, it's God gave me the dream of being a mother. But He's not giving me what I need to achieve that. Maybe it's I want to be free from from an addiction. Maybe it's I want to be free from something. Maybe it's I want God to be able to break something off our family. Maybe it's I want to see my marriage restored. Maybe it's I want to be able to help people, but I can't even help myself. Maybe for you today, there's a dream that God put on your heart, but you counted up the cost and you said to yourself, God, I'm not ready for this. Thanks, but no thanks. And this dream has laid dormant and just waiting for you to pick it back up. Can I encourage you as you draw near to God, the the dream maker, the dream facilitator, the one who provides everything we need. All He asks you to do is to draw near to Him and He will draw near to you. that dream up off the floor. Don't let the words that other people have said to you discourage you or turn you away from that dream. Can I encourage you right now that God sees where you are. He sees your struggle and all He's waiting for you to do is to stop trying to take control of everything and lay it down at His feet. To seek Him and say, Father, forgive me. Father, I need your help. I've done everything that I can do. I need you to take control now. I release that. I wonder how many broken dreams or dreams that have fallen on the floor. I wonder how many of those that are in this room right now. Just like Joseph, maybe you felt like you've been put in a pit. Maybe someone's accused you of something that you didn't do or, or, or called into question your character. Can I encourage you right now? God sees you for who you truly are and He will make a way. Maybe you had everything stripped away from you. You had that business and that business was doing great and now all of a sudden it's been pulled away You've lost your identity. Why? Because you had your identity in that business because it made you look successful. But what God was really trying to do was to draw you closer to Him. Maybe it was, maybe it was the fact that you wanted to start a family, but the relationship fell apart. Can I encourage you? For those that are married in this place, that God can do a miracle in your marriage and make it work. For those of you who are looking for relationships, 
can I encourage you, seek first the kingdom of God. Ask God what it is. Ask God to search your heart and to turn you into that that wife or that husband that God has called you to be so that when He sets you up, that you don't enter in broken but whole. Right now, with every head bowed and every eye closed, I'm just going to say a simple prayer. And for you, if you identify with the fact that you say, Chris, that's me. I feel like I had a dream, but I've walked away from it. And I want God to restore my hope again. I don't want the devil to come to steal, kill or destroy my hope, my faith anymore. I'm gonna pray that prayer and then we'll pray a simple prayer. For those of you who say, do you know what, Chris? Like I've never known this God that you speak of. If you truly say that He is a God who saves, that this is the God who, regardless of my circumstances and my situation, sees me for who I am.